Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome once again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 57, my friends, and I am so excited to bring you this interview with Mackie Musavi. She has a new book coming out called The High Achiever's Guide, Transform Your Success Mindset and Begin the Quest to Fulfillment. Excellent title. Every single word in that title has power. And this interview has so much powerful material, I can't even begin to tell you. And by the way, this woman is such a sharp, sharp lady. I'd like to give kind of a shout out to the women, by the way. And by the way, in the wake of the women's soccer team, the U.S. winning the World Cup, congratulations to them. Women are an amazing, amazing part of our society, and we'd be nowhere without them, by the way. So for all of us men and women, let's uh, kind of just give props to the women and also a higher level of respect and everything else that goes along with it. Let's increase wages. Let's all these things. Women are just a powerful part of our society. Mackie does all kinds of coaching and has so much beautiful material. She has an incredible website and bio. We're going to talk about some of her background in this interview. But Mackie Musavi, that's M-A-K-I-M-O-U-S-S-A-V-I, MackieMusavi.com. And you can go check out all her material, her blog. And this book is coming out August 15th. So Go order that, get that uh, on your radar and consume that material because she has some powerful principles for those of us who may have felt stuck. I've been there uh, or may have been uh, just dissatisfied. She talks about this quest to fulfillment in the title of the book. And we talk a lot about that, about what high achieving means. And no matter where you are in your life, whether you work at fast food or are unemployed or are some corporate executive or CEO of some major corporation, wherever you are in your life, there's some room for improvement at all times. Just the fact that you're listening to this podcast, I know that that's uh, in your mind already and you're aware of that. So uh, I want to remind you, as always, you are priceless. You are absolutely unequivocally priceless beyond any of the so-called riches of this world. As I've been saying lately, the riches are in you, my friends, and you're never alone. And we talk a little bit about that in this podcast because people kind of get in this delusional idea that maybe they're alone and then it kind of makes them kind of hide in their shell and maybe not branch out and do things and maybe take some calculated risks and overcome some things that might involve fear. So just remember, you are priceless. You're never alone. Take those steps. You know what you need to do. Your gut tells you what you need to do, and your mind is telling you. And sometimes there's some conflicting voices, but that's why we do these things on a regular basis to keep our minds right and continue forward properly. And I will remind you, too, I'm traveling, so there's some different acoustics as we speak. I'm in a hotel room as we speak, so there's also some some different background noise, so I apologize for that, but I don't think that's uh, very prevalent in this interview. I also want to quickly touch on our challenges. As usual, study. Keep studying if you have been. Start studying if you haven't been. Consume great material. This book is going to be a part of that palette for you. And uh, listen to books. Read books. Go ahead and uh, watch educational kinds of things. And that doesn't mean we don't watch other mindless, fun cat videos on YouTube once in a while, too. Consume great things as just a constant growth approach to our lives. And it'll help in so many ways as things spring up, as they always do, that are unexpected kind of obstacles, perhaps, or perceived obstacles, that when you have these principles kind of at the forefront on a regular basis, it makes it so much easier to handle those situations as well. So study, keep studying, start studying, whatever that case might be for you. Also, the second challenge is make great moments, make people matter in your life, make them realize that they matter, uh, surprise people, love people, make 
people matter is one of the biggest parts of making great moments. And as you do that, you're going to find so much deep, lasting, meaningful fulfillment in your life. Make great moments, whether you have kids, whatever the case might be, make great moments. Love them as a verb, not just a noun. Love is an outward action item. And the last challenge is always, let's keep doing this podcast together. I want you to be real attentive to every word she has to say because it's very, very important. And contact her, MackieMusavi.com. Go to the show notes. There'll be links and everything there to get in touch with her and uh, go ahead and get this book on your radar so that you can consume that wonderful material. So without further ado, here is our interview with the wonderful Mackie Musavi. We're here today with Mackie Musavi, author of the new book, The High Achiever's Guide, Transform Your Success Mindset and Begin the Quest to Fulfillment. How are you doing today, Mackie? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, it's a pleasure <laughs> and a privilege to have you here with us. So I understand you're in Kansas City. Is that, did you grow up in the kind of Midwest area or where are you from originally? I did. I uh, grew up in Manhattan, Kansas, actually, which is just a couple of hours west of here, a little college town. Um, uh-huh. And I was born and raised there. My parents were immigrants. And that, of all the places, that's where they ended up. So I grew up there, but then I went and lived in Minnesota for a couple of years and went to graduate school there. And I lived in Texas for a while before actually coming to Kansas City. Oh, wow. So you spent kind of the whole time right there in the, in the middle of the country, huh? Yes, right up and down I-35 apparently is my is my place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Cool. So where did your parents uh, immigrate from, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. Um, my parents are from Iran. Oh, cool. And my dad actually spent um, most of his life here. He came to the United States when he was 17 with the Air Force. Um, there was, actually, we were countries weren't on good terms at that time, so he was stationed in San Antonio which is how he got here and then stayed here for many years before he went back for a while to teach. And that's where he met my mom and then mm-hmm. he got married and came to Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. Good old Manhattan, Kansas, almost like a uh, oxymoron because you hear Manhattan in New York, but <laughs> that's it a big is. city. <laughs> yes. Doesn't sound like Manhattan, Texas, or excuse me, Kansas is a very big place. Um, absolutely. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, um, and I, and by the way, Living in L.A., as I have, I've gotten to know a lot of Iranian people, some of the best people mm-hmm. on earth, I just have to say, some of the nicest, Aww, sweetest people great. in my experience from all walks of life, whether they work at Subway or they're, you know, corporate uh, executives or whatever, just nice, nice people so far. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah, thank you. And I'm sure you're no exception. Um, so, so let's talk about your journey because I understand you, you know, you kind of had it all, so to speak, from the surface, at least from kind of a, your own corporate life and the the family and the 2.3 kids or whatever you had kind of the whole thing going. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, um, I went to graduate school and studied a kind of obscure, um, I got an obscure degree that even today people sometimes ask me what it is. I got a master's degree in genetic counseling and I, I just, I'm a science nut. I love genetics and I really wanted to to find a way to be in that field without having to be a researcher. And that was the best option that was available. So I went to school for that and I kind of knew at the very beginning, I was not planning on staying in a patient care kind of capacity. I wanted to take that knowledge and, use it some other way to benefit a lot of people. And I got the opportunity to do that when I got a job with a healthcare IT company that was actually building software to support labs that did genetic testing. So Mm -hmm. I kind of began my corporate 
career. Mm-hmm. And um, I was there for nearly 13 years and started out kind of as a domain expert, just was pretty much the person there that knew what I knew about genetics and had the experience that I did and really enjoyed that for a while. Had a lot of opportunities to do many different things because of the language basically is such an esoteric area that people don't feel comfortable in field conversations or they don't feel comfortable talking to clients about it. So I really had this varied career where I got to do a lot of different things um, in that space. But then came a point where I had to make a decision about whether I wanted to remain a, a domain expert or if I wanted to kind of go on the career path trajectory and get more into management and understanding more of the business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And had um, a mentor there who really encouraged me to do that. So that's what I ended up doing. I see. And so, how, um, yeah, keep going. <laughs> so I was going to say, so basically then, you know, when I kind of caught on the more traditional corporate path, if you will, um, and was managing teams and and kind of subtly climbing up the ladder from there. Um, that's when I really started to feel, you know, maybe I wasn't really in the right place. And despite mm-hmm. continued success and, you know, continued increases in the paycheck and all of that, I got to the point where I had, was the most miserable I had ever been. Mm. Well, why do you think you were miserable? I mean, uh, people get this idea, oh, I'm going to do this and that, whether they're, when they're in school or, or whatever, like we had other guests who maybe wanted to be an attorney and then realized, oh, that's not for me once they're finishing law school. <laughs> but what was it about right. that that wasn't for you? You know, I think it was a, a, a lot of things in hindsight that I can see much more clearly from here than I was able to see then. You know, there's a lot of things that we tell ourselves are just a part of having a certain experience. I was having the experience that, you know, I lived in a, I was in this world, in the healthcare IT world where, Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the corporate culture itself was, you know, kind of a good old boys uh, network, really. Mm-hmm. It was a lot about who you knew, and there were a lot of people who had been there from the beginning. Um, there was a lot of strange and, like, inappropriate behaviors mm-hmm. at some levels that, you know, you just tell yourself, well, it's just part of corporate life, and it's okay, you know. It, it's I'm just making this compromise, basically, over and over again to tolerate a lot of the things that have been happening and then as I got closer to, you know, the level that I had aspired to, you know, being an executive and, and being having a lot of responsibility and having more visibility, those mm-hmm. pieces, you know, they get amplified because you're closer to them and you, you get bigger doses of those things. Um, and also I realized, you know, at some point I was looking around at the people who were at the level that I aspired to and I didn't see a single person who was happier fulfilled in that space and I really started to question why am I striving for this and I I realized for me that so much of what I was doing was taking that formula that had been shared this is what success looks like and I was basically ticking the boxes and doing the things that I had been told right you know lead to success which I definitely have on paper and from all appearances but internally felt very out of alignment with what I really wanted and who I really was yeah. So you had kind of the external trappings of success, but not maybe internal peace and uh, comfort with what you're doing and the environment and the people and so on. Did you find, by the way, exactly. yeah, do you find, by the way, that that's common? You do some coaching and things uh, with the folks that you come across in the world, in the corporate world. Is that a common sentiment out there? Absolutely. 
Um, and, you know, that was part of the other piece that was very disheartening. I really felt like I worked with just amazingly smart and talented people, really brilliant, some of them just geniuses. And yeah. it was so sad to me to see them with all of their brilliance trapped, basically feeling trapped in the same way that I did. I would say that was a very common theme of of life. You know, we would we would commiserate with one another. It mm-hmm. was really a misery love company kind of situation where we would vent, we would get together and we would talk about everything that was wrong and then we would, you know, get some kind of strange reassurance out of the fact that we were all in the same sticky, leaky old boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it would just continue to fuel this idea that, well, this is just what there is and this is the compromise that you make in order to have this external version of success, if you will. And it, it's so common, and it's exactly what I work on with people. You know, it takes a lot of courage to look at a life that appears to be successful and that other people perceive as successful and admit out loud that it's not enough because there's a lot of fear that comes with that admission. If this isn't enough, will anything ever be? Is there something fundamentally wrong with me that this is not good enough? Mm. And there are very few people who are willing to go through that barrier of fear to see what's on the other side of it because what if there is no way to be fulfilled? What if there is no way to be happy? What if there really is all, what if this is all there is? And sometimes it feels safer to just stay stuck than to discover that there really isn't anything else for you. Mm. Yeah, that's a, excuse me, that's a great answer. I, and as I think of the things you're telling me, I wonder now you got to this place, you felt trapped and so on. And so how did you find your way personally with your own journey out of that place to this up, you know, this level of fulfillment? Because this is what you're sharing in your book. and We'll talk more about that. How did you find your way out of that? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it was not easy, you know, and it took me a very long time. I would say... <laughs> when I think back on it, it really was probably the second half of my career where I started to get these feelings that maybe this wasn't really the right thing and I kept making the compromises, but sort of knew I needed to do something. And the way that I started was I just read a lot. I read a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I really appreciate all of the people and the authors out there who put their content out and do things like what you're doing, which is podcast interviews with people that can help you move forward because between reading and listening, Mm -hmm. I would say those were the most important elements of keeping my head in the game to keep going on the path because there isn't an easy answer, you know? And the, the other thing is that I really became aware, and this was the piece that was so important, that what was around me was not the problem. I was the problem right? I was accepting Mm -hmm. and tolerating and putting up with something that didn't work for me. And I didn't have the answer to what would work for me. And the only way that I could come to that over time was to do this very deep self-examination and delve into the pieces that felt scary and get really clear on, you know, I don't want this. I don't know what I do want yet, but let me get really clear on what I don't want. And then that eventually led to what would I like to have instead? And then you just, make these steady steps towards coming into acceptance for what it is that you truly want Mm -hmm. and detaching as much as you can from the fear that that brings up, that maybe it's something you can't have, that it's not realistic. Because, you know, we're, we're fed that from our parents and society and our industries, like, oh, you can't have it all, or, oh, that's not realistic, or, 
you know, no, no pain, no gain, and all of the, the terrible cliches that we're taught that basically keep us in this place where we're so fortunate in our society at this time with all of the technology available, mm-hmm. we have options. And yet we yeah. live as if we don't sometimes because the generations that came before us modeled a very different way of being a professional success that we still adhere to in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I really had to consume a ton of information and do a lot of deep self-examination. And I ended up hiring a coach myself in the last six months before I actually left my job because I knew I would need someone to keep me accountable to that path because leaving that was, you know, the final kind of frontier of fear probably, at least at the time. And, um, and so I did all of that, all of that. And then finally got some help from someone else and then made that leap that I just knew was the right thing for me. And I, I don't preach that to everyone. I don't think that's the right answer for everyone. I believe that people can actually find a great deal of freedom inside of structured professional environments mm-hmm. if they are willing to be courageous and find out what really works for them and if they have the courage to speak up and ask for what they want yeah. and then leave if they can't get what they want to find what they want. Yeah. So you see, you took great ownership. Some some people, you know, live our lives where maybe there's some excuses or, or blame externally that, oh, this is this guy's fault or this circumstance. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you took full ownership. And, uh, and and by the way, you talk about this information you consumed. If you don't mind me asking, what kind of any specific authors or books that, <laughs> that uh, really yeah. impacted you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say my, my most favorite of those books, and it's probably because of where I was when I read it, is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. I recommend that book to so many people because it's specifically about fear and the kind of fear that comes up when you are trying to create something. And and he's very clear that this isn't just about art. It's about creating anything, whether it's a business, it's something else in your life. But the idea that fear is this kind of ever-present thing that's always going to be with you and that you continuously have to face it on a daily basis when you are creating something that you really want. Right. That is a very powerful book, and I and I love it. And, and But here's the thing, and this is why I felt I wanted to write a book. I was, I am a, a spiritually very open person, and um, I never saw myself as a creative but I could see that even though this book was called The War of Art, and I'm not, I don't consider myself an artist, and at the time I didn't consider myself a creative because writing a book was very far from my radar at that point, mm-hmm. I knew that he, you know, there was something in there that I needed. And I, I believe that that's one of the challenges is that for a lot of corporate professionals, a lot of what's out there is written by people who are creative. Um, either they're freelancers or they've, they're, they've been entrepreneurs for a lot of years or they write for a living, or they do something that a lot of corporate people assume is very removed from their experience. And so they don't necessarily get drawn to pick up those books, even though there's plenty of awesome information in them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that was why, and a lot of the books, like, you know, You're a Badass by Jones and Chero is a great book, and I read um, The Desire Map by Danielle Laporte. You know, a lot of these people are creative people at yeah. heart. Um, yeah. And I wanted to try to reach these people and, you know, who were like me, professionals who had gone on the more traditional career path and who get fed a steady diet of corporate culture type books, like, you know, be a better leader, um, you know, here's how to work with a team, here's how to be successful, you know, all this very 
it basically just reinforces this idea that success is this thing that you have to measure up to by other people's standards. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of that, and then there's a lot of really great content that is, uh, for maybe the average corporate person, feels hidden inside of books that are written by creative people. Right. Um, and I wanted to try to bridge that gap by appealing to personal development, and but in a way that has enough of a, you know, I know that you're a business professional kind of backdrop to it, that it, it can, they, they can hear the word. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you talk about the word fear, it's such a powerful word that is uh, discussed in so many ways in our society and kind of has this negative connotation. In fact, I was hearing Tony Robbins last week talk about uh, how we frame things involving fear and that you can turn fear on itself was the kind of the phrase he used. In other words, you can say, what if this or that happens? We're fearing some possible, you know, perceived negative outcome, but turning that around to what if I don't act? What if I don't do this thing? What, what are the consequences of that as kind of more of a fuel forward to get where, where we're trying to be or accomplish whatever that thing is? So uh, do you have any other, as maybe drill down a little on fear? Is, it, is that kind of uh, applied in your particular journey uh, any any specific yeah. insights because fear kind of can paralyze people it's such a kind of a powerful thing in both directions but do you have anything more you want to add on fear sure yeah i think that's great great advice by tony robbins and I, I think that's exactly what i did you know the fear of staying where i was overcame all other fears basically mm-hmm. <laughs> i didn't want to live that way for the rest of my life um and that was a scary prospect it was actually a really it brought on a lot of despair to think like, I'm just going to do this for the next 25 to 30 years. Um, And I think the really important thing with fear is to understand that it has a place. It's not our enemy, um, but we shrink from it. You know, every chance we get what Mm -hmm. the average person does. And and there's a, there's a reason for that. You know, there's plenty of research and lots of great books and like the war of art talks about this. So much of our fear response is based in our ego. And Mm -hmm. it's about, being afraid of what other people will think or being failures or, you know, taking a chance and not having it work out. What will people say? What will, what does that say about me? Um, And just all of the um, pieces of fear that really rule us. And in the book, I write about what I call the three illusions that are fueled by fear, because I think that the three illusions that a lot of high achievers labor under is, the idea that you can fail, because I really and truly believe that failure is only an option if you allow for it. Um, It's always an opportunity to learn something and change something. And with my scientific background, I love to use the example of research, because everything that we have medically that we take for granted now and just expect Mm -hmm. came from a lot of experimentation and research and failing over and over and over again until the vaccine was just right or the drug was just right or the surgical procedure was just right. You're never going to get it right, right right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. You always learn from that and you tweak, but fear keeps us in a place of what if I fail when this doesn't work out. Um, And that's that's just, we have to start flipping that paradigm to think of it as an opportunity rather than the end of the road. Yeah. And then another illusion that's fueled by fear is this idea that you can lose things. You know, if I say this, I'm going to lose my job. If I say this, I'm going to lose my relationship or I'm going to lose these friendships. I'm going to lose these opportunities. And sometimes, you know, what people don't understand is that 
loss happens sometimes when we, I mean, obviously when we really don't want it to even, right? It's like you could do everything right and still lose your job because something happens with the, to the company. Yeah, yeah. And you don't have that ability to influence that. So seeing the loss of something and grieving it and being sad about it and having your human emotions, but then knowing that that's making space for something better to come in is a huge hugely advantageous way to think of loss because then you can say this has ended it's because something better is waiting to come in instead of you know drowning in the misery of the loss basically yeah those are all excellent excellent insights i can't imagine uh a better answer to be honest with you and honestly as you talk about fear and and we consider a lot of people have talked about this fear being kind of part of our survival instincts for uh you know however long humans have existed that you know a lot of times it was this hunting gathering and we don't necessarily have to do so much of that uh but it's kind of it reverts back to this instinctual thing but if you if you take a little more conscious effort to frame things correctly and uh realize that some of the things we fear, whether it's what somebody thinks or the failure, are actually part of the process. We look around, just all these mechanisms you and I are speaking through today are the result of a whole bunch of failures and then some successes. <laughs> of, That's right, from, exactly. Yeah, from light bulbs to internet to phones and so on and so on. Uh, it's just, we have to realize that's the process in the world we live of the things we you know, take advantage of and enjoy. So it's yeah. it goes in line with all that. Now, absolutely. Um, did you want to add anything else? Yeah, the only thing I was going to say is the last illusion. So the first two I mentioned were you know yeah. failure and loss. The last one is this illusion of control, um, and this is really a big one for Type A people. You know, and it was a huge challenge for me to overcome mm-hmm. wanting to control everything, not wanting to make a move until you know what the outcome is going to be, and living in this very tightly uh, you know you're living in a really mm-hmm. small box when you're trying to control everything yeah and at the end of the day you don't have any control it's a hundred percent an illusion you know back to the idea that you can still lose your job even if you do everything right you could still get sick even if you live a healthy life lifestyle you could still get into a car accident even if you're a great driver right like we don't really have control it's an illusion that we've built and it's one that is basically there to satisfy our fear monster, right, that wants to eat all those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And the the challenge with that is that what we think is possible for our lives is actually so much smaller than the true possibility. But we're so busy controlling what happens next and what we can see that there's so many opportunities on the periphery that never register with us because we're not allowing. We don't let things happen. We don't allow things to transpire. Uh, And that is one of the hardest pieces for people to let go of, absolutely. But Mm -hmm. all of these things are like muscles that need to be flexed in order to become second nature. You can't just get off the couch and run a marathon. And this is the same thing. You can't just go and make a couple tweaks and suddenly think and act and behave differently and have different outcomes. But you have to do a series of little things every single day to overcome these impulses until that becomes the second nature and not the place that's holding you back. Yeah. Yeah, great. And it's it's worth kind of remembering that because, again, the world around us is so instructive of uh, yeah. just how things work. Just like you just said about you can't just get off the couch and go run a marathon usually uh, and probably 
anytime, really. And also all the technology, all these examples we're giving, they're all around us. And so we have to realize, okay, as I let those facts uh, flow, those truths in my world, I have to realize there's going to be some failure and let go of all the controlling maybe instincts that maybe we have and so on and uh, and just go for it, uh, realizing that there might be some somewhat unpleasant experiences, but also, like you said, framing that such that, uh, you know, if you experience a loss, loss of a friendship, loss of whatever uh, in that process, that there's something else to fill that void. And that's always, that's also right. the way the universe works too with black holes and everything. I mean, everything is instructive in this universe where things fill voids. And, and so we have to kind of have this maybe, and it's kind of an overused term these days, but this abundance mentality versus scarcity, not being kind of Absolutely. lost. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And, and when mm-hmm. I think, when I look at the title of your book, obviously there's uh, an audience we're, we're talking about in the very first words, the high achievers guide, who are high achievers or is there a specific kind of a reference point of what this is, who these people are? It could be anybody, I suppose, who just makes some choices, but who are high achievers? Yeah. Mikey? Yeah. So to me, high achievers are, you know, people who are built to be a little bit um, type A, you know, people who have a vision and they go after what they want in terms of, you know, their professional success. I think these are people that tend to sacrifice other pieces of their life for their professional success, Mm -hmm. um, which is very common with, you know, people who are executives or who are, you know, producers like real estate agents or mega agents and are just killing it, making a ton of money, but it's eating up the other pieces of their lives, whether that's their health, their relationships, their free time, or all of the above. And these are people who are very driven by something. And one of the really interesting things that I have found um, is that a lot of people who are high achievers are trying to prove something because of something that happened when they were growing up. And, like, whether it's you had difficult parents, they were difficult to please, or, you know, maybe they were personality disordered, or you were growing up in a toxic environment. And a piece of how you survived that was to go and externally get the validation that you weren't getting Mm -hmm. from the rest of the world. And a lot of high achievers are driven by the need for validation. And this can be so damaging because then your self-worth is not internally defined. And that is one of the most interesting things about this group, right? They look successful. They're smart. They are talented. um, They are confident. But internally their self-worth is highly defined by the trappings of success that they have surrounded themselves with and that the words of affirmation, recognition that come from promotion and money, that this that we are structured to basically have that feedback loop, right? This is what success looks like. And that's why it's so hard for us to take criticism or, you know, for someone to say, I don't like what you did, I'm no good, and then let that make this huge impact crush us, right? Instead of us saying, I know what I'm worth and I know the value that I bring and I'm sorry you don't see it, right? Yeah. yeah. So high achievers are are uniquely um, defined, I think, to some extent through their professional success and it could be any kind, whether that's corporate, entrepreneurial, they could be artists, artistic, it could be anything. And have it and, and know that like it feels like something's missing, but they don't really know how to fill the void except to set new goals and to continue to achieve them. Very mm-hmm. goal oriented, right? You've met that goal, great, celebrated for like five seconds. Now you have to fill that void to kind of use your terminology, right? That's that's what high achievers do. And what they don't realize is that in this pursuit of the ex- 
external achievement, they actually have a very low bar for what they expect from their lives. Right, right. And, and having said that, you think about having this motivation for validation. Why does that take place? I guess maybe our society kind of teaches us that too especially in the American kind of capitalistic thing and the kind of car you drive and the job you have and, and outward appearances, mm-hmm. which is kind of sounds like the trap you originally, you didn't necessarily fall into that because you were very interested, but you weren't satisfied. So, so why, right. does, why does this happen? Or, or more importantly, how do we become cognizant of it in our world and how do we uh, overcome that particular kind of need for validation? Because that's a very strong kind of driving force. It is, Absolutely. You know, I really think it's we're, we're so I actually structured my book to talk about almost like a computer, right? Like we're sort of like computers, and yeah. when we're young, we, we use a lot of systems of rewards to teach children, right? Like, oh, you get rewarded for good behavior, or you know, if you eat your dinner, you will get a treat, things like that. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. I think it's developmentally appropriate. I think the challenge is that. We don't ever, we don't get to run a virus scan, right? We don't get to do an operating system update. Whatever we learned, it worked when we were young, and we just, it persists in our programming. Mm. We just become accustomed to that way of operating, even though it's outdated, and even though in many cases it's not even serving us anymore. But because we don't have a system update option, it takes this personal development work to be observant and see what you're doing that doesn't work for you anymore and then make a conscious effort to reprogram yourself into a different pattern of behavior. We just take on and live with whatever worked at one point. And that doesn't mean it will work forever. You know, and and I I talked to some of my clients will say like, I'm so great. I'm screwing out my kids as I'm getting all these insights. And it's not that you're screwing up kids by doing these things, but you do have to some at some point shift the way that you are teaching them to interact with the outside world so that they learn. Like system of rewards was great when you were, you know, from this age to this age, but now let's be a little bit more mindful about what's driving you. Hmm. And that's what we very rarely do as adult humans. Yeah. And, and that's true. And, and as you say all that too, I, I think about the word fulfillment and, you know, talking about, oh, I'm messing up my kids or whatever the situation might be. How do we define fulfillment uh, or success, satisfaction? These are kind of synonymous kind of words in the same arena, at least. How do we define that? Or how would you suggest people define that for themselves? The word is in the title of your book, The yeah, uh, Quest absolutely. to Fulfillment. Yes. And the reason I picked that word is because it's not about happiness. To me, happiness is a fleeting thing that we experience from time to time but it's not sustainable. Um, it's not something that we're in all the time. Fulfillment is more about feeling aligned with who you really are. You know, one of the things that I felt was missing was just, I didn't have the time that I wanted with my family. I didn't have the mental downtime that I wanted. I didn't have the ability to relax. My brain was always busy. I didn't feel as if I was providing value to anybody else's life or existence. And to me, those were the pieces that were really missing and that made me feel void of fulfillment. Like, I, did, I didn't have any. I wasn't mm. spending my time on the things that really mattered to me. And even at the time, I didn't know what they were. But again, that beginning to see what you're doing in your life that you know isn't working for you. So one of the exercises I tend to give people I work with one-on-one is this daily exercise where for the first couple of days, 
that they're engaged in coaching, just tune into how you feel at every step of your day. When you wake up in the morning, how do you feel? Are you, you know, upset when the alarm went off? Are you dreading getting out of bed? Do you immediately pick up your phone to see what the day is going to bring for you? Do you rush through your morning routine? Do you dread your commute? You know, what, what are the energies that you're experiencing as you go through your day? And doing that for just a couple of days is enough, and it's really eye-opening. When I did that exercise, I realized I spent, you know, 85 to 90% of my day in a negative place. And we don't realize that because we become, we just go into, into autopilot mode and we just do it every day. It becomes a routine, but it's not a, a good one, right? You're just making it. You're just surviving. And that's not the existence that we're supposed to have at this point with everything that's available to us. Because when we are in that place, we cannot be there for other people you know whether you're a leader a parent a partner a friend when you are in your own misery that misery takes up your energy it's very hard to participate in making life better for anyone else and that for me was what needed to, to stop that needed to change yeah there has to be kind of a uh, self-awareness too of of what we need to be doing to uh, overcome that particular thing because when it gets down to it a lot of times we get into this place of quote-unquote comfortable as, as odd as it might sound to use that term under these descriptive things mm-hmm. where I'm just comfortable maybe being uh, dissatisfied even but uh, mm-hmm. and, and I heard somebody recently say that uh, we wake up in the morning feeling we didn't get enough sleep and go to bed at night feeling we didn't get enough done and it's kind of the epitome of this scarcity mentality where we kind of have to constantly swim against the current to, like you said, kind of consume material that's going to get our mindset right and maybe meditate and and be aware of the self-care kinds of things that we need to be doing to to stay in that place. And uh, now what more do we need to say about high achievers uh, as far as defining what that is, if you want to add anything about that or how for some who maybe don't feel like they are, maybe they're working a job, maybe they're working at Taco Bell or whatever it is and no disparaging right. to anybody at any walk of life. But I, for one, that's why our podcast is empower humans. I feel like people have massive potential at all levels. Certainly we all have different talents and uh, so on, but how, how do yeah. we define that place for someone who maybe strives to be a high achiever and, uh, mm-hmm. Go ahead. What did you want to say? Yeah, I I mean, I think that's such an excellent point that it really is almost just about who you are internally, regardless of what your life looks like on the outside. I think a lot of people who are in jobs that are maybe, you know, low wage and they're not necessarily happy there are highly aware of the fact that that isn't where they want to be. But they've also, on some level, settled for that because of whatever messaging they've received. You know, maybe they've heard messaging... Maybe they grew up in a family where you know people didn't go on to achieve much, and they just think that's their lot in life. Maybe you know they don't have a certain education, and they believe that limits them. Maybe it's the the environment they're in that's mostly what they see, and so that becomes their lens, even though it doesn't feel like it's the right place. And that's where this whole idea that you really have to deconstruct what people have told you is possible for you, and what is coming into your What's defining your life externally? It really always comes down to who told you that you that this is how it has to be? Who told you that this is what success looks like? Who taught you that you have to settle for this because there isn't anything else? It all comes down to that self-awareness 
and having, again, that courage to say, I'm not going to adhere to this definition that has been programmed into my thinking mm-hmm. by the life that I've led so far. I want something different. And so starting to construct that something different and having the courage to take the steps, whether it's networking with people outside of your current existence, reaching out to someone, reading things that you believe maybe, you know, very erroneously are beyond your level. Just stepping out of the box that's been constructed for you is the most important thing. And it goes back to what you said about comfort. You're right. You know, it's a comfort in quotation marks because it's really just that it's the devil you know. And it's the unknown that scares the bejesus out of us. So we just stay put because we don't know what will happen if we try to leave and we're afraid it won't be much or it won't be what we want. And that's the piece where if you can overcome those fears, doing little things that scare you so that you can work yourself up to the bigger things, Mm -hmm. that's the key to getting out of this construct that that people have been living in, no matter where they work or where they are now, because like you said, everyone has potential. So it's just a matter of doing that work to to realize it, and that takes a lot of effort, um, you know, for us mentally to get there. Yeah, and and we use the word comfort also, it's kind of like, even deeper than that, it's just kind of more what we're used to, and then that fear becomes kind of the the shackles that, that trap you there. Like, no, oh, okay, this is what I'm used to and I'm making enough money or whatever, even though I'm not really satisfied or fulfilled, uh, but I'm, I'm too scared to branch out. So I'll just kind of status quo, continue on as, as things have been. And, and what do we, what do we have to say to those? Cause you just said some of it, I think, you know, who aren't fulfilled, who want to change. And uh, some of these high achievers who maybe want to move forward, make transformative changes in their lives. How do you recommend they begin that process? You know, the way to begin is to get really, really clear on what you're tolerating. And this is a painful exercise because you start to see, wow, these are all the places that I'm settling. And I kind of, I call this, I have this thing that I call the flat line of resignation, which is where um, a lot of people who fit into this high achiever category, like I said, they have low expectations. And so what that really means is, when something goes wrong or something is scary or something is not the way they want it to be, you know, the language they tend to use with themselves is it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Right. It's always mm-hmm. just this very flat, like it's just going to be okay. There's really no aspiration for it to be any better than that. Mm-hmm. And so it's identifying like where in your life is, are, are you settling for that? Like what's just okay. What's, not okay at all, but you have been telling yourself for years, well, when this happens, then I will do that. So for instance, you know, when I stop traveling so much, I will spend more time with my family. Or, you know, when this project is over, I'll get back into a self-care routine where I go to the gym and I eat well. And always putting off what there will never be time for, you know, and that's the thing that I wish people would understand is that there's not any magical bolt of lightning that's going to come down and make it easy for you. (laughs) If it's something that you want, it has to be prioritized. And most people don't prioritize. They, they operate in the windshield effect of whatever's coming at you has equal importance. And so they are constantly quote unquote busy, but they're not working on the things that matter to them and they're not prioritizing the things that matter to them. And so the first thing that people need to do is sit down and think about where in your life are things just okay or where are they really not okay? 
And how long have they been not okay? And what have you been telling yourself about when you're going to get to those things? And, you know, why? Starting to ask why. Why do I do this? Why? Being very observant and somewhat detached. Because one of the things that can happen at this point is that people get very down on themselves and start to go, oh, my gosh, you know, I suck. I can't believe that I've been letting this go on for so long. Or they have shame and guilt associated with the things that they haven't gotten to. And, you know, it is what it is. It's neither good nor bad. At this point, just observe. Try to detach from the judgment so that you can see what you need to see in order to make it better rather than sliding down into the slope of, you know, despair and Mm -hmm. self-hatred. You know, this is your opportunity to look at, okay, what do I want to change? And then not trying to change everything at once. Because I do think this is a high achiever tendency as well to either do it perfectly according to the formula or not doing it at all. Yeah. You know, this is like the whole, if I can't do the meal plan and go to the gym seven days a week, then it's not time to start working out. No. Yeah. You you just do what you can do right now that's an improvement on your current situation and keep prioritizing it. There's mm-hmm. no band-aids for any of this stuff. It just takes persistence. Yeah. And one of the things, thank you for sharing all that, one of the things that helped me personally in this path is realizing, you know, I listen to some people like Eckhart Tolle and these people who talk about mindfulness and meditation, all these kinds of things that some of us Westerners sometimes think are a little hokey, but by the way, I promise you they're not. (laughs) They're very good for our mental health. And uh, Mm -hmm. one of the phrases he uses in the book he has, one of them is called The Power of Now. And it's such a powerful Uh, commentary on our lives to really focus in on now, not being caught up with yesterday or tomorrow. Yes, there are concerns surrounding that, but it's always now, you know, and, and whatever happened, let's realize too, that we're not alone. Everyone's got some regrets, some disappointments, maybe divorce was rampant, whatever things people have gone through in their lives. You are not alone. I say this all the time to our audience. And uh, I think it's important that people realize that too, because it's so easy to get in this like delusional trap that yes, yes, I am alone. And so, yeah, just some food for thought. Did you want to add any more on that particular kind of twist? (laughs) Yeah, I think it brings up a really important point, you know, 100%. And it's one of the things that I always in one-on-one with people say, you know, whatever happened before, this is not about rehashing that and reliving that, right? It's about taking that, what you learned from it and moving forward. And it's so incredibly important to not be a victim in your own life. Yeah. And and I say that having experience, you know, early on when I was very unhappy in my career and I came across some toxic people and had these not so great experiences to mm-hmm. say, you know, why is this person so horrible? Why is this person just so horrible still here? Because this is just how they operate and they're like this to everyone. How did, How is it that people like this are allowed to be here and like mess with people's lives, right? And everyone has that example, whether it's, somebody did something to them once and or somebody at work is making them miserable or they have like a tough relationship or some set of circumstances went wrong for them. Yeah. Look, we are not victims. We always have a choice in how we respond to things. And I really choose to look at all of those negative, so-called negative situations as teachers, you know, whether they're people or situations, we learn so much about ourselves through adversity And a lot of the time, what's trying to be pointed out to us is that there's a pattern. You know, for people who consistently think to themselves, but this keeps happening to me. Like, I keep running into people like this, or this situation keeps popping up. 
it's popping up for your benefit because there's something that you're doing that is keeping you in that cycle. And until you address it and you come out of autopilot and you see how you are participating in that, it's going to continue to happen. Yeah. See yeah. it as the gift. When yeah. it recurs, it's for your benefit. What are you not seeing that you need to see and address so that this stops happening? And it's almost magical yeah. how well it works for you to just nip one situation that has been a repetition for you over time in the bud and then it stops happening. It really is for our own self-awareness. And so really seeing every situation as an opportunity to learn something about us instead of looking externally and thinking, why are you doing this to me? Look at it and see, why is this happening for me? Yeah. And I think doing some of the things you've been talking about is kind of uh, consistent, hopefully maybe daily habits of consuming positive information, maybe even meditation. I've been doing some of that myself, and uh, I listen to lots and lots of books, too. Uh, that kind of, in my experience, helps foster this sort of mentality of uh, growth and doing the things that we need to instead of getting lost in this victim place. And, you know, I think about you yeah. use the word use the word gift as far as uh, some of the experiences looking at some of these things that might easily be construed as not a gift <laughs> as, as mm -hmm. just that. And, and I think too, we talked about Tony a minute ago, Tony Robbins, he's, he and others have used this phrase that life happens for us, not to us. And to kind of mm -hmm. maybe keep that as a little mantra in the back of our minds when, whether, whether you're stuck in traffic or large or small things in life, it's, it happens for us, not to us. And everything's an opportunity for growth, for learned patience and, and be grateful for this now, you know, uh, that we have, because it's always now yeah. we have a new breath, a new life uh, each day. So did you want to add anything else? Go ahead. Yeah, I think, you know, you brought up meditation a couple of times and I, and I love it because I, you know, I'm the type A monkey mind person who found meditation extremely difficult for a very <laughs> long time. Yeah. Um, but I really just made it a habit. I basically forced it on myself. Um, especially in that last couple of years when I was knowing that I need to leave my corporate situation. And even if you can only do, you know, five minutes at a time and understand that the point is not for your mind to be silent, the point is to just give your mind that space so that you can observe what's happening in it and understand that it's going to be kind of a loud mess in there for a while, but you're still getting benefit from just sitting there for five minutes and allowing that process to take place. It's really hugely beneficial. The other thing that I really recommend is writing in a journal. Again, I was never a journaler, and I think I filled up two journals, you know, in that last couple of years, too. Just I wrote everything down because when you have these observations about yourself, and other people have talked about this much more eloquently than I can, Mm -hmm. There's something about writing it that engages the other half of your brain versus the analytical piece of our brain that tends to be in the hamster wheel where we just keep thinking the same thoughts over and over again. There's power in writing it down. It helps our brain make these connections. And even in the moment of journaling, if that's not when the pieces come together for you, it's just like meditation. You're not necessarily going to get a lightning strike when you're meditating, but things will start coming into you over time at random other odd times. Um, through that process of meditation and journaling, and those were hugely keys to the way that I did this process on my own and what I continue to do today. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And uh, that's one of the things I've found, too, that, again, some of us find it a little hokey and uh, 
whatever the case might be. But there's this place that you can find that's an awakening with that. And again, we're not just honing in meditations, the end all be all, but it's, there's a big place in our mind. There's a spacious presence that they might say, uh, where we don't be as reactive to things in our world, whether it's the traffic or the job or whatever situations and, and really kind of harnessing the space between some sort of stimulus and a response to actually kind of make it as the best response possible instead of losing our minds or <laughs> whatever it might be. Exactly. And, and, and that, you know, the other, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, the other thing that I would add to that is, you know, we tend to get very hung up on the, the negative things too, like, oh, I'm stuck in traffic or I'm out later. What I encourage people to do is when you're in a moment that feels really good for whatever reason, whether it's because you're engaged in a great conversation or you're enjoying nature or you're enjoying your cup of coffee, whatever it is, Take a beat to just savor that moment and say to yourself, more of this, please. Because (laughs) we don't focus enough on the positives, and we can really just having that mental awareness where we just take a moment to say, this is pretty awesome right now, and I want to have more of these experiences is also very powerful. Yeah, yeah, great. Excellent, excellent points. And by the way, I'm grateful for this moment. We've had to chat about some of these principles, too. (laughs) And... Uh, yeah, me too. I think uh, I think it's just so many people talk about so many things. You know, I'm in you and I are in this space where we're uh, trying to empower people and so on. And so we hear these things a lot about gratitude, about so a lot of the things we're talking about, about getting out of comfort zones and kind of our own expectations on ourselves and learning to own our situations. And uh, but again, these are powerful. That's why we're hearing them so much. These are powerful, powerful principles. And uh Again, your book, The High Achiever's Guide, Transform Your Success Mindset and Begin the Quest of Fulfillment. When's that book coming out, Mackie? It's coming on August 15th. Oh, exciting. Great. And uh, how can people get in touch with you as far as your, uh, obviously, probably priceless coaching (laughs) that you sound like you must provide people? How can people uh, find you? Yeah, so I have a website. It's actually just my first and last name dot com, um, and there's a contact form there. It's very easy to reach me there, and my email is actually just my first name at first and last name dot com. Um, and I've been blogging very subtly, so a lot of this content that we've been talking about has has been covered in some way, shape, or form in fairly brief blogs. But I try to keep it consumable for the busy person that <laughs> tends to fall into the category that we're talking about. Yeah. And you do have kind of a unique name. I'll have that uh, in the show notes so people can look you up uh, in the various platforms, especially on your website, to get in touch with you. Um, Is there anything you want to add as we kind of come to a close here? Um, I would just say, you know, if you have been feeling that this is where you are, that life looks really good on paper, and that you're telling yourself that you should be happy with where you are and you're not, just don't, don't put it off. Start doing the little things that you can do today, whether that's to read or listen to something or meditate or journal, and believe and trust that you are here to have more than the experience that you're having and to have that courage to just take those steps, those little baby steps, to going in the right direction. Yes. Yes. Conscious efforts. You're not alone. Uh, tons and tons of great material. I, I'm so grateful that we had this uh, experience with you today. And uh, again, the High Achiever's Guide, Transform Your Success Mindset and Begin the Quest to Fulfillment. Uh, Mackie Musavi, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, hopefully we'll do a sequel down the road. And I hope this book uh, just blows up on the market because I'm sure there's tons of great material there for everybody. But 
Until next time, for our audience, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.